Wow. Well, I guess sometimes the best uh, is when you're under pressure. That was awesome. I enjoyed that worship. I really did. Well, we're going to pose a question here in relationship to our subject matter for the the morning, and then uh, we're going to bring the mic around for you to respond or for you to engage. If you're watching us via live stream, text us at 720-878-3323 or type your response or engagement into the chat window. All right, here's our question for this morning. And again, our series is called Your Imagination, the gift that God gave you to create and enjoy life. Here's our question. What practices do you perform in order to stay close to God? What brings you into greater awareness of his presence? Anyone? And we'll be monitoring the chat as we're doing right now. Uh, You can either text us from your seat out in the live stream or we will bring you the microphone if you're here in the congregation. Yes. Silence. (laughs) If I understood him right, he said silence is a practice that Matt uses for feeling the presence of God or staying close to God. Great, great answer. What brings you into a greater awareness of his presence? Anyone? What practices do you perform in order to stay close to God? What brings you into a greater awareness of his presence? Anyone? I like just staying in the, in the word, in his word, what he says, you know? And just to, just like what Matt said, just to be silent sometimes and just to listen, you know, and just to get close to him that way, you know, just open my heart and just, just read his word and just understand what he's trying to say and what he's saying. So I'm hearing speak the word, say, say what God says. Is that what you said? Okay. And then the second part of that was? Was just to was just to listen, you know? To listen. Sometimes we have just to stop and listen to what he has to say. Yeah, really good, really good. Don't be afraid to let Carol hold the microphone for you. She'll hold it close to your mouth. (laughs) Because some of you are kind of all over. Carol will get it right here for you. Okay. I think worship, just worshiping the Lord. Worship, okay. Is there anything specific or particular about worship? Worship's very broad. I can worship walking down the street or, you know, in the shower or on my knees or hands folded or not or all sorts of different things. Singing, as we just did, was worship. What for you draws you closer, causes you to be more aware of God's presence? I think... When I'm working, I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing the birds fly and the bunnies hop and the trees blowing and just creation, the clouds and, you know, that's one way, you know, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, you're just such an awesome creator, mm. you know, just, just telling him how much I appreciate those things. And then, then just sitting and singing, you know, singing worship songs to the Lord and just... 
focusing on his, on his love and his goodness. Okay, so I heard two things. I heard acknowledging him, acknowledging him in even creation, and then I heard, of course, singing songs, as we just did. Yeah, great. Anybody else? We got uh, Bob, and Le- Bob and Debbie are watching from Detroit, by the way. Anybody else? Those of you in the live stream, engage with us. All right, here's the question. What practices do you perform in order to, quote, stay close to God? What brings you into a greater awareness of his presence? Text us, chat with us through the text or the chat uh, window there in your device or text us. Yes, Tommy. Um, For me, I have about an hour to drive to work. So a lot of times when I'm in the car, I actually, uh, I, I talk to God and I ask to feel his presence. Um, sometimes it's, you know, I feel like sometimes there's some days where it's just really hard for me. And so when it's really tough, I always ask um, for God to be there with me all the time. You know? Wow. Super. What a great hour. And what a great way to use an hour in the car to just meditate and talk to God. Super. By the way, we need to sign that guy up for radio. What a great voice. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to talk to you when we get ready to start our podcast. Anybody else? All right, I'm waiting for your, yeah, I don't see anything in the chat window yet. Anybody else? Yes. Okay, well, this has probably been said, but as I've, I've been thinking about a lot of times, about the time I'm getting into the shower and I'm going, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made. I rejoice and I'm glad in it. And I just talk to him. And, and in talking to him, that makes me aware of his presence. Mm-hmm. All right. Talking to him. And, and this is just, what I love about these answers is that everybody's saying, well, I, I feel close to God and I, um, I, I, I practice this in, to stay close to God, which so everybody, almost everybody has said, well, I just act like he's right there with me and I treat him as, you know, average. Lewis says love on others is a way of Staying close to God, being aware of his presence, loving others. Absolutely. When, when we're loving others, then presence is manifest. Presence is manifest. See, there's a presence right now. There's a presence in this room. It's his presence. There's a presence going out over the broadcast. You bring presence with you. When when you came into the sanctuary here and sat down, presence walked in because you carry presence, see? And then there's things that we do that make us more aware of presence. That's what I'm kind of, that's where I'm driving. What do you do that makes you more aware of being close to God or presence, All right? Bob says, going to the live service or watching online if I can't be there. So, being in live service, worshiping, singing, listening to the message, whether it be online or live in person, 
there's something there for Bob, he says, that just brings him closer to God. Anybody else? I got one. Okay. Um, so singing, doing worship, any type of music, it doesn't necessarily have to be singing to the Lord. It, it makes me feel closer and in his presence. It, mm. it just, it's like a connection, you know, that I, that I have with him. Mm-hmm. It's my way to, I don't know, feel his, his presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, for me, I really agree with that. that. That's the kind of answer I think I would have given as my number one, is listening to music and maybe singing with it. I might not even know the words, but there's something about music that tends to transport us. Music is so powerful. It's, It's no wonder why music is pervasive throughout all of society. Everybody in some way identifies their being, their purpose, their being on this earth with music and they love music and it communicates. And then when you find people that, like yourself, like the same music, there's a bond, there's an immediate bond. There's a bond in a concert. You go to a concert and you're listening to that music being played, there's a bond with people that you don't even know there that are in that concert because you're all enjoying the same music. There's a communication in that music. There's a communication with God the Father when we are listening to and worshiping with music. Anybody else? Good answers. Great engagement. Give it just another moment. You in the sanctuary here or on live stream, you can text us your answer. If you'd prefer, 720-878-3323. Text us what your thoughts are right now. Text us your thought. Or if you're on a device watching on the live stream through the website, there's a chat window. Anybody else? Going once, going twice, no, just kidding. Okay, all right, so I'm going to move into a definition of what your imagination is. Webster says that our imagination is the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. So when I imagine something, I'm going beyond my senses. Are you getting that? When you use the power of your imagination, you go beyond the sense realm and you connect. You connect with things outside of just the reality that you can see. There is a whole reality out there that has nothing to do with what we can see. Let me rephrase that. It does have to do with, but there is a, there's a whole other part to reality beyond what you can see. And the gateway to it is your imagination. See, that's, that's why in my title for this series, I put the gift God gave you to create 
and enjoy life. If, if I don't use my imagination, I will be falling short of enjoying all that God wants me to enjoy. Paul said this in his letter to the Ephesian church. Chapter 2, verse 6. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated with, or as one, with Christ. Here's chapter 3 and verse 20. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. God wants to exceed your imagination. Now I see here that I have to bring up a different, there we go. I, I love this idea that this is a gift. Your mind is a gift. God talks to you through your mind. God communicates with your spirit, yes. But that's kind of too nebulous. It's just kind of, you know, we don't really identify with that. But if I say God speaks to my thoughts, God talks to me in my thinking, we understand better what, what that's like. Because we, it's based more on reality for us. So God gave us a gateway between the natural and the supernatural. You do know there's a difference, right? I mean, there's the natural and the supernatural. And they blend, and they work together to create reality, and your imagination is the gateway into that supernatural part that you can't see with your physical eyes and often can't touch or taste or interpret with your physical senses. How we interpret our world or reality, depends on how our imagination is illuminated and stimulated. When you stimulate your imagination, you will have a, a much better interpretation of the world around you. Now, if we're going to discuss presence, to discuss presence, we have to deal with the issue of being separated from God. Most people believe there's distance between them and God. Even Christians believe that there's distance between them and God. So li listen to me now. I'm gonna, I, I want you to fill in the blank. Would you help me with something? If, if I said to you, let's come into his, what would be, how would you complete that? Presence. Presence. Let's come into his, how about this one? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Come, come, let's enter. Enter his presence, right? How about this one? We just need to draw closer to God or the Lord. How about this one? Do you want to get closer to God 
right? Fill in the blank. Do you want to get closer to Jesus? Do you want to get closer to the Holy Spirit? Do you want to feel more of God, feel more of the Holy Spirit than you do? Well, read this book. Watch this sermon. (laughs) Go to this seminar, right? Almost a sales pitch. I need to spend more time with God. I don't feel like God hears me. I don't feel very close to the Lord. See, we can fill in those blanks very easily. And the interesting thing is, is that every one of these suggests distance, separation, and the need for me to do something to get God's presence and approval. The truth is, is that God is chasing you in his relentless love. Jesus didn't reconcile God to me. God doesn't, Jesus didn't come to reconcile God to you. What Jesus did in his body, through his life, his death, his resurrection, was all to persuade us of the Father's acceptance and our inclusion in the love dance of the Trinity. It's called perichoresis, the divine dance. You see, rather than trying to get close to God, I'm already in the inner circle. How many of you have ever been part of an, like an inner circle? An inner group like a friends, or you're on a team, they picked you first or second, somebody else way down the line, number 16, number 30, but you got picked first, you felt, man, I'm on the inner circle. How about at work? You're in management. And so when the boss meets with his managers, he's meeting with the inner circle. Did you know that God meets with you daily, not based on your performance, not based on anything you do, not based on how much you pray, how much you sing, where you are, whether you're in church or driving in your car. God meets with you all the time because you are already in the inner circle. Oh, it's so beautiful. I don't need to get God. I don't need to perform for God. I don't need to get closer to God. You see, that gruesome trial that Jesus went through, that scandalous execution, death at the hands of his own creation, God was in Christ dying on a cross at the hands of his own creation. All of that was to rescue our minds from every definition of unworthiness and condemnation and every sense of separation. There is no separation between you and God. There is no distance between you and God. Jesus dealt with that and closed that separation. In the broken, broken bloody body of Jesus, the incarnate engineer of the universe... He redeemed our minds from the plague of a sin consciousness that left us distant and indifferent to God. You say, well, I've always been taught that from birth we were born with a distance between us and the Savior, this great gulf or chasm and and, and so then Jesus comes with the cross and then I have to accept him and pray the prayer and do the right things in order to cross over, walk over safely on the cross to the other side. But if I don't do all those things, then I'm going to fall into the chasm of hell. Yeah, I know. I was taught that too. The fact is that in the broken, bloody body of Jesus, 
the incarnate engineer of the universe. He redeemed our minds from thinking that way, from thinking that you are separate from God. I know you're looking for a scripture, so here's one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Here's what Paul said. And you who were once alienated as enemies in your mind, enemies in your mind, not enemies from God. God has never been distant from you. God has never at any time in the universe been distant from you or put you out or separated you from his love, period. Never happened. Now, so for that to be a reality, because it's sort of a, it's, it's a supernatural reality, we have to use our imagination. We have to see ourselves co-crucified, co-buried, and co-raised with Jesus, and co-seated in heavenly places. You are, the Bible says, co-seated with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 1 and and chapter 3. We are co-seated with Jesus. When? When we get to heaven? No, right now. When? When you pray enough? No, right now. There is never a minute in the day where you are not co-seated with Jesus. How many of you have ever heard this song? God is watching us. He's watching us. God is watching us from a distance. Bette Midler. I didn't sing the tune right, but how many of you have ever heard that song? God's watching us. He's watching us. He's watching us from a distance. Bette Midler performs that tune I think she wrote it from a distance God is watching us really from a distance no God is not watching you he lives inside you God is not watching you you are immediately now in his presence because you are co-raised and co-seated with him you can't get any closer in fact the word Emmanuel right Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14 we say it at Christmas time that the Savior has come, God is with us, right? That's the word Emmanuel, that's his name, God with us. Not God far from us, not God with us if you pray the right way, God with us if you go to church, God with us if you do the right things, God is immediately now with us. And oh, by the way, God cannot get closer to mankind than he already did in the person of Jesus. He's not nearer to some than others, He isn't nearer to Jerusalem than Japan. Oh, come on. This is a good place to say. He is not nearer to Jerusalem than he is to Japan. Jesus represents the entire human race in one person who died, was buried, and rose again. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, Francois Dutrois writes in his Mirror Bible, you can never be more co-raised and co-elevated than what you already are. You can only grow in your awareness of your redeemed oneness. You see, we spend our time not wondering how to get close to God, not trying to get close to God. We spend our time using our imaginations to imagine being co-seeded with Christ. Do you see the difference? 
Now, all of these things that you all said this morning about how to get close to God, what do you do to be more aware of his presence, they're good things if your theology is right. If your theology isn't right, they become works of law. Do-it-yourself religion. Things you think you have to do to experience God's presence. Things you think you have to do to get close to God. You can't be closer to God than you are right now in your co-seatedness. Oh, I just can't imagine that. That's the problem. We've got to use our imagination We've got to use this powerful gift God gave us to imagine being seated with Christ in heavenly places. So even when bad things happen, even when circumstances are going south, it doesn't change your proximity to the Father. Wow. Now, I told you to deal with presence, to talk about presence, we had to deal with separation but today's lesson is on power and presence presence and power living in presence and power and you know what to embrace God's power we have to deal with the issue of God's wrath God's power is often associated with images such as force Destructive winds, breaking rocks, flying angels, dark clouds, thunderous noise, shaking structures, damaging winds, gruesome violence, and the destruction or death of large numbers of human life, including innocent women and children. Needless to say, our image, our imagination of God and his power is often not something we associate with love, kindness, gentleness, meekness, forgiveness, or the Father's embrace. So, on the other hand, we are taught by Christian teachers that we're to be like children, right? Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven, which doesn't have to do with location or afterlife. <laughs> it has to do with presence. And how do you how do you become a child? You enter into trust. But now think of this. On the one hand, Christian teachers are asking us to be like a child, but on the other, we're told that we have to fear God because he can and will just as quickly perform gross acts of wrath and violence on us or to us if we don't believe correctly and as long as we don't deviate. Now, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to do something here that I know I didn't take care of or didn't have the time in, in what happened to us. There's a folder on the desktop that I want you to open. There's three MP3 files in there that I need for my next segment. And I want you to drag them out of there into your media bin so that you can play them, please. And as you do that, three MP3 files. They're all numbered number one, number two, and number three in that folder. So what happened last night is our communications with the computer went down and we weren't able to remotely access it. So work that we normally get done at night, we couldn't do. And so anyway. So I am right now, I'm gonna buy Jeff a little bit of time to find those three files that are in that folder that I drug over to the desktop this morning. Um, 
This issue of God's wrath is so important to us. It is so important for us to get a proper understanding. If we don't understand God's wrath in a proper context, it will be very difficult for you to experience God's power. And it will be very difficult for you to relate to God's presence. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched a child's face after they have been violently treated, let's say? Maybe they've been slapped, their hair's been pulled, a hand's been raised, a belt pulled out, and they've been whipped. Have you ever seen what happens to a child's countenance? They go into fear, right? You can see it on an animal, precious little puppies and kittens. When you mistreat a puppy, you can see fear in its eyes. And sometimes a pet will never, never get over that, never come back from that, no matter how much you try to do, because it's ingrained in them, it's instilled in them, that fear. Many, many human beings have been mistaught that God is angry, God is wrathful, and if you don't do the right things in the right way, he's going to pull out his vengeance, and he is a wrathful God, and he will condemn you, right? Now, I submit to you that is absolutely contrary to the Jesus of the Bible, number one, and to what Jesus himself taught in that we need to become like a child because the two just don't work together. You can't be a child who trusts explicitly in the Father and think that, the God is, uh, that God is angry at you and ready to exact vengeance on you. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to use an example from a Bible teacher who is one of America's and one of evangelicals, most well-known, most revered, and most influential Christian voices responsible for creating the image of God commonly accepted and widely believed among Western Christians. In preparing for my response to this clip, I reached out to a Hebrew scholar and Greek authority, my friend, John Master Giovanni. So I have taken a two and a half minute clip from a Sunday sermon of this individual, right? I've broken it into three clips because I want to stop after the first two and make a comment. All right, if we're ready, be sure video uh, uh, volume is up for that so that not a word is missed. Let's go ahead with the first clip, 44 seconds. Here's, Here's Revelation 19:15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now, this is describing Jesus at his second coming. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Now, that last sentence is exceedingly terrible. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
Just make four observations. tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Just make four observations. Number one, mm. God is almighty. We are not dealing here we're, with a mere president gone of the United States. We've gone the first States, clip. Mere premier of China. <laughs> so I only want the first clip of 44 seconds. And now we're going to play that again, Jeff, because I need the slide, uh, as you can see there from the notes, I need that slide. Revelation 19.15, please. Up on the screen as this speaker is speaking. Great. Thank you so much. All right, clip please, sound, sound clip. Here's Revelation 19:15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now this is describing Jesus at his second coming. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Now that last sentence is exceedingly terrible. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Just make four observations. He will tread. Okay. I want to remind you that in my response to having stumbled across this, I wasn't looking for it, I stumbled across it in my study of the subject of wrath, I want to remind you that I reached out to Hebrew scholar and Greek authority, John Master Giovanni, as I comment on some of these things. First of all, regarding using this verse, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, it is so common for people to use the book of Revelation for proof texting. You know what I mean, right? We, we pick out a scripture out of the text and we proof text. In other words, this is proved by this verse. So the wrath of God is proved by verse 15, chapter 19. That's called proof texting. I submit to you that the book of Revelation is the most misused book in the entire New Testament. And it's why that the Greek Orthodox Church, the Eastern Church, does not put it on an equal ground with the rest of the New Testament. Some even regard it as non-canonical. In other words, it shouldn't have been included in the canon of Scripture of the New Testament, the 26 books that there would only be 25 then. It has been proven significantly that the writer of Revelation, the book of Revelation, was not the Apostle John, as some suppose, rather another John who wrote it in a Persian and Greek dramatic theater form. This is not new to modern day. This isn't a talking point. But this argument goes all the way back to 260 A.D., in a book by Eusebius, The History of the Church, volume 7, page 24, verses 1 through 24 of that book. Di- and I'm butchering the, the names. Dionysus of Alexandria said this plainly. The style of the two books, meaning John's Gospel and the book of Revelation now, in comparing them to to seek out who's the true author of the book of Revelation. The style of the two books differs markedly. Now, this is a comment, by the way, being made in 260 AD, not by some deceived heretic, you know, Bible student of modern day who's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. The style of the two books differ markedly. 
The sophisticated gospel writer could not have written such clumsy Greek. Right? So therefore, this book, the book of Revelation, by the way, has been placed as being written around 60 AD and not the usual uh, uh, period of time being that the apostle John did his works in 95 AD, all right? So John wrote his gospel and the three epistles, all right, the three letters that he wrote, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, along with the gospel of John way later than the book of Revelation was penned. They are not the same author, all right? If we could, the second clip, sound clip, please. He will tread tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Just make four observations. Number one, God is almighty. We are not dealing here with a mere president of the United States, the mere premier of China. We're dealing here with the person whose power includes all the power of the political realm and all the power of the electromagnetic realm and all the power of the atomic realm realm and all the power of the gravitational pull of the biggest stars in the universe and all the power that upholds the universe by the word of his might. We are dealing here with what's called almighty, omnipotence, absolute sovereignty, and he is angry. Hmm. And he is angry. That cut off a little bit, sorry. And uh, if we could have the verse back up when you play the next clip. Hmm, is that your image of God? This angry being? He's almighty, he's all-powerful, yes, he's greater than atomic power, he's greater than presidential power, he's, he's, and he's angry, this author said, this preacher. Again, this is one of the most well-known speakers and preachers and pastors in all of America. Hmm, you know what? It just doesn't sound like Jesus. And you know what I found? God looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. There's never been a time where God didn't look like Jesus. We haven't always known it, but now we do. God doesn't look like this. Being in the theater play written by not Apostle John, All right, let's finish with the last clip and please have the scripture passage up. Second observation is that this almighty God is about to pour out his wrath. So he is a God of love. The Bible is clear about that. And he is also a God of justice and holiness and wrath. The Bible is very clear about that. We need to know God as he is, not as we make him up to be. And the third observation is that this wrath is full of fury. The fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. It's not a cool opposition. It's not emotionally indifferent. It is a furiously angry wrath. And the fourth observation, and it's the most terrible, is that it is like 
Christ treading a wine press in which the unbelieving are under his feet and their blood flows like wine from the wine press. That's the image of the beloved apostle John, among others. And my point today is this should produce a certain appropriate emotional response in us. Yeah, it certainly does. Fear. And the title of this pastor's message is How to Tremble on Sunday. Trembling before God on Sunday, that we're to come into God's presence with trembling because of his holy presence. Very interesting. And the part that really stuck in my craw was this, this picture. Now, get the imagination. We're talking in this whole series, we've been talking about the power of your imagination. Here, a servant of Jesus Christ, who I actually have great respect from and have read and followed for years and years and have even used some of his material, is preaching on the subject of wrath here in a way that I, I can't embrace and can't identify with. And he's using my imagination. He is using word pictures to use your imagination here over one verse, proof texting, to describe the wrath of God. And did you catch the one where Jesus in his wrath, could we put the scripture back up, please? Jesus in his wrath is going to tread out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God or Jesus on behalf of the wrath of God. So it's like, you know what the wine press is, right? Back in that day, they didn't have engineered wine production. You got a bunch of grapes together in a big barrel and you stepped on them. And as you stepped on them, right, it, the, it, it forced the juices to ooze out a hole down in the lower part of the tank, which they collected in bottles. So here's the picture. I use my imagination. This gift that God gave me, I am supposed to imagine that if you don't live right, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior in the way that I have, and you don't do the right set of things, or if you do it and then for, for, uh, turn your back on it, and you become backsliding, that you're going to fall into that category of human beings where Jesus is going to have his foot on your neck and God is going to squish you until you are bleeding and it turns, he's going to take some sort of delight in the fact that uh, humanity is going to bleed out in a way that a wine press would. Is that the image that Jesus portrayed in the New Testament? I grant you it is the image of the book of Revelation. Don't take me wrong. That is in the book of Revelation. But now this message isn't about the book of Revelation. And it's not even specifically about the wrath of God. So we'll go there sometime in a whole series and unpack all of this. I'm asking you this. God gave you a wonderful gift, the power of your imagination. And he, Jesus said, I want you to become like little children or else you won't be able to enter into the presence. You won't be able to enjoy the presence. Now, juxtaposed of being a, a child that he wants us to be, we are to imagine that if we falter in that walk, 
If we err in some way, or for those who never accept Jesus, right, as their, quote, personal Savior, God is going to joy at the end of time, squashing all of them like grapes until their blood flows in a stream. My Hebrew scholar friend, John Master Giovanni, said the first sentence harkens back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, where we see the symbolism of the dynamic attributes of Christ. The sword of his mouth comes from Isaiah 49, verse 1 and 2, prophetically speaking of God forming the prophet in the mother's womb to speak to his people, to bring them back to him. It has nothing to do with violence or causing any bloodshed. Then he said, regarding the verse, Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, it's hearkening back to Revelation chapter 14, verse 20, which must be defined within the context of those verses, which also hearkens back to Revelation chapter 7. I said, well, that's all fine. Tell you. What does that mean? He said, consider this, Jeff. The 12 tribes, you all know what we're talking about, the the 12 sons of Jacob, right? And there were 12 tribes of Israel, Judah and Manasseh and Ephraim and the 12 tribes, right? Watch this. The 12 tribes listed in Revelation do not match the sequence of Genesis. And most importantly, the tribe Dan, which means to judge, is completely removed from the list. In its place was put the tribe of Manasseh, which means to forget. So in simple terms, we could say that God is telling us to forget the judge and see this differently. See this play differently. See this poem differently. Forget the judge and see through the eyes of Jesus. Now watch this. Secondly, like the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, where Jesus shares from the book of Isaiah about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him, and then he stops at the acceptable year of the Lord, and he doesn't continue with a phrase that Isaiah has, but Jesus does not go on to quote. Let me show it to you here. Luke chapter 4, look down at the bottom. I'm gonna, that's it, Jeff. Luke chapter 4, look at, the, well, look at the top first, Isaiah chapter 6. Watch this. The Spirit of the Lord. So Jesus was quoting when he stood up in the temple, took the scroll and quoted. He was reading that verse right there, Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, that's what it says, that's what the prophet said in the book of Isaiah. But here's the way Jesus read it when he stood up in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who oppress. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice he drops out the subject of judgment. See this is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no judgment. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. 
Here's another example of that. So does this verse, verse Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. It's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 3. But it stops, and rather than say that the blood of the people will be on his garment, it instead says on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings. I'll show it to you. Watch this. Isaiah 63, 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained my apparel. Boy, can your imagination run wild with something like that. Imagine teaching that to a child as this pastor would abdicate. Here's what it says in Revelation 19, verse 15. Very interesting requote. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Complete absence of the bloody mess splattering up on the garments of Jesus. Now, Mr. Piper, and I will go ahead and say his name, I'm not trying to bring a man down, and this is all public teaching, publicly broadcast, and publicly on the internet. I stumbled across it. John Piper follows this message that you heard here the clips that I pulled on this specific verse, he, he ends the verse that you heard or the clip that you heard there, he ends it with this, a personal illustration or testimony. It's like when my son Karsten visited Dick Teagan at age six. There was this big German shepherd who met him eye to eye at the doorway at age six. And he was very much afraid. And Dick said, don't be afraid. She's very friendly. He sent Karsten to the car to get something that we had forgotten. And he went trotting out to the car. And this dog comes looping up behind him. And with a deep rumble in her voice, it did not look like this dog was safe. And Dick hollered out to him, oh, Karsten, better not run away from her. She doesn't like people who run away from her. Now watch this. And I, uh, John Piper is speaking now, and I took mental note, that's going into a sermon because that's exactly the way God is. No, he isn't. He's a very friendly God. He just doesn't like people who run away from him. (laughs) Use your imagination here, dear Jesus. He just doesn't like people who run away from him. And he will lop after you or lope after you with a deep rumble in his voice. And if you don't heed that rumble and turn and hug his neck, you're going to be history forever. End quote. I'm not making it up. This is in his message on a Sunday morning to his congregation. John Piper. Oh my goodness, I've run out of time. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I I think we'll be able to pull this up here for you, verse 6. We are co-included in his resurrection. 
we are also co-elevated in his ascension to be equally present in the throne room of the heavenly realm where we are co-seated with him in his executive authority. We are fully represented in Christ. You see, we're not trying to get there. This is where we begin from. This is not a distant goal. It's not obtained through religious devotion or striving. This is our immediate location. That's why I asked you, what do you do to be close to God? And you gave me the most wonderful answers. It's just that none of that gets you closer to God. It brings you, it gives you greater awareness of the proximity you already have because you can't get more co-located than you are right now. You can grow in your awareness. Verse 7, imagine how God is now able for timeless perpetuity to exhibit the trophy of the wealth of his grace demonstrated in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Grace exhibits excessive evidence of the success of the cross. Your salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It was a grace thing from the start to finish. You had no hand in it. Even the gift to believe simply reflects his faith. In other words, dear ones, this powerful gift you've been given, imagine, use your imagination to imagine oneness. God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. That was our text at the start of the series, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine. <laughs> Would it be all right if I just curse? Could I curse for a moment? Could, could I curse? Now, now here's where I'm going now. Don't, don't freak out on me. Okay. So I, I want to give you a quick illustration, then we're going to pray. I got a new office chair this week. Okay. Now, this office chair came in a box. So it was all broken down, and it had to be put together, Right? And, in fact, there were two, two office chairs, not that one. And here I am, I get all the parts out, and you start assembling it, and I'm looking at the directions, and I assemble, and I look at the directions, and I assemble. And then it comes time to join the back of the chair, office chair, with the seat, okay? And, and I've already got the seat and the little plunger, you know, that you, you pull on the little tool underneath the seat and it lets you go up and down, right? That's all attached. So it's sitting on the casters. Now the, chill, the seat to the chair is on the casters. It's rolling around. I got to join the back of the chair. And man, I get the first screw in and then I start fighting. My brother, I wish you had been here to help me. I, I squeezed and I thought, and then I look at the picture again. No, that's how it's supposed to be. And so I, I lean the, the chair back over, you know, forward so I can get that screw in and I, I'm wrestling with it and I get the third screw in. I have to get four in. And then I'm fighting and I'm fighting and I can't get that fourth one lined up. And then all of a sudden, I realize I've got the seat backwards I went home I told Nina this is like ass backwards Christianity God gave me a beautiful illustration today we fight we struggle we're trying to get the screws in we're trying to get closer to God feel God pray be holier get more of God's presence and you know what you need to turn your butt around. 
<laughs> you don't have to try hard when you realize he's already put it all together for you. Could we have our prayer before? I wanted to say, Wes, before Matt comes and closes our service. I hope something in this series on your imagination has given you this greater appreciation for the gift that allow you to create and enjoy more of the life that God meant to give you. Let's pray this prayer together. I'm putting it up on the screen here. Ready? Let's pray. God, Lord of creation, lover of life and everything, please help us to love in our very small way what you love infinitely and everywhere. We thank you that we, excuse me, we thank you that we can offer just this one prayer and that will be more than enough because in reality everything and everyone is connected and nothing stands alone. To pray for one part is really to pray for the whole and so we do. Help us each day to stand for love, for healing, for the good, for the diverse unity of the body of Christ and all creation. Because we know this is what you desire, as Jesus prayed, that all may be one. We offer our prayer together with all the holy names of God. We offer our prayer together with Christ, our Lord. Amen.